You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Okay, good morning. Morning again. We actually gave you two minutes of fellowship there, okay? So if your conscience is actually that you don't get enough fellowship, at least you've got two minutes of fellowship. That's a good thing to get, isn't it? Anyway, I want to look this morning. Last week, I was looking at a passage from Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Can I just say good morning to you in Cafe Church this morning? I hope everything has gone well down there this morning. Good to hear John warming up. I hope you were blessed in the worship and got a sense, a real sense of God's presence and God's power below there. We're going to be looking this morning at a a passage of Scripture that is actually, that runs um, concurrently with the passage of Scripture I was looking at last week. So the passage of Scripture I was looking at last week was in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Josiah, would you put up the first slide for me, please? Thank you. We were looking at this passage um, uh, last week, and we were looking about how Jesus healed this man who was paralyzed and the context for that and how it was that sometimes we all have a paralysis in our lives and sometimes we need to stand not under the authority of that paralysis but under the authority of Jesus and what he wants for our lives. Would anybody say amen? So I'm looking this morning at what follows on from that. Now when you read this passage in Matthew's gospel or when you read this passage in Mark's gospel or when you read this passage in Luke's gospel in a translation such as the NLT, the NIV, the ESV or the NCV, you will see it's broken up into the next section of the story. However, when you look at the original manuscript, when you look at the original arrangement of it, this is contiguous with the previous story. When we, we can tend to sometimes see our Bibles as being broken up into chapters and verses, but there was never any chapters and verses written in them when they were originally written. So this is part of, if you will, a single narrative. And the purpose is to bring out probably a single point. You know, there's multiple points you can make through these stories. But they're trying to bring out a single point. The single point in this narrative and the single point in the narrative of Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and Luke's gospel, and in John's gospel, is that it's all about Jesus. That somebody had come who was different to anybody who had come before. That this person who came had come to reveal God in a whole new way. He came to turn people's lives upside down. He turned my life upside down. He turned it around. He took me off a downward trajectory and put it on an upward trajectory. And that was many, many years ago, more years ago than I care to remember at times. But when we're looking at this, we're going to be looking at the next part of this story. And I want you to put yourself into the story because sometimes we can look at a story of Jesus and say, well, that happened at a different time and in a different place. And yes, that is true. But these stories are always relevant. These stories about Jesus are always relevant and they're always relevant to all of our lives. And I know that you know that. Today's story, I've called it Friends in Low Places. How many people here remember the old Garth Brooks song? I've got friends in low places. Yes, friends in low places. No, all the young people are going, who is Garth Brooks? What are low places? You'll understand in a few minutes that the, the people we're talking about in this passage of scripture were not the high end of society. In actual fact, the people who were around Jesus generally were not the high end of society. But today, perhaps, he begins to fathom some fairly new depths. We're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. I'm going to read the passage first. I don't normally go on that way, but I'm going to read the passage first and then return to it and look at it maybe a couple of verses at a time. Let's begin. And may God bless his word as we read it. Will anyone say amen? Amen. 
And Lord, will you challenge our hearts where they need to be challenged? Open our eyes where they need to be opened and change our direction where it needs to be changed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I love this story. I love it because I think we're all in it. Here we go. It says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. I want to look at this story and break it down into just a couple of blocks. But it's important that you put yourself into the story, in my opinion. If we're ever to understand the stories of Jesus, we can't read them like we would read a historical document. But we need to read them as real life events in which we could potentially have been participators. And I like the opening. It says, very simple, as Jesus was walking along after he had healed the paralyzed man, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up. And followed him. Now, if you were reading this passage way back along, and look, we've spoken about tax collectors before, but it's worth saying again. If you were reading this passage way back in the early first century, when you read this piece written by Matthew, your heart would stop because you'd go, he, he, he was walking out and he called who? He called a fellow by the name of Matthew. Now, some people think that Matthew is the author of the gospel of Matthew. He's certainly the name that is on the gospel, but the authorship is not 100% certain. But it's as likely as not that Matthew was written by Matthew's gospel. I love the way, if, if he has written it, he's just kind of, so he calls a fellow called Matthew. Nobody's special, nobody's serious. And he's sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, what was the interesting thing about somebody sitting at their tax collector's booth? First of all, a tax collector was a horrible and a despised person. He was hated universally by the Jews. And this is not one of those, we're kind of really going to exaggerate how much he was hated. He really was hated by the people around him. The reason he was hated is because he was a collaborator with the Roman rule over the land of Israel or Palestine as it was under the, or Judea as it was more specifically under the Romans. He was a collaborator with them. His job was to collect taxes from the downtrodden people to gouge them in every possible way and make sure that those taxes made their way back up the tree, up the tree to the Roman Empire to fund the Roman armies and the Roman dominance and rule of its empire. So to these people who wanted their freedom, just like every nation wants this freedom and every nation wants the freedom to self-determine, these people hated this guy because he was in cahoots with the Romans. And being in cahoots with the Romans never won you very many friends. 
And I like it when Jesus comes along and he sees this guy. He was what, he was what they would have called a mokes or a little mokes. He basically collected the tax himself. So if you were living in that area, in the Capernaum area, and you had to pay taxes, Matthew was one of the guys to whom you would pay taxes. You pay taxes on the fish you caught, which would become significant. You pay taxes on the bridges that you crossed, on the food that you sold, the earnings you took in. And there was no end of ways in which these people did not invent more taxes to gouge the people that they dominated and to extract taxes from them in every possible way. These people were despised. You've got to think, I think Tom describes it well and he says, you've got to think this guy is like a combination between a lone shark and a pedophile. That's a pretty good idea of what you think that this guy would have been like. He would have been hated. And so when Jesus walks along and he sees him, Jesus says to him, follow me and be my disciple. No, Jesus wasn't doing himself any favors by inviting a hated tax collector into team Jesus. Jesus wasn't going, hey, you're going to be good for the team. You've got lots of talent. Come, follow, join the team. This was not Judea's got talent. This is not Simon Cole going, I spot your talent in you. Come on, follow me. Jesus wasn't doing himself any favors. A handy way to get rid of lots of friends is to say, this pedophile is my best friend. It's a good way to get rid of people. It's a good way to get rid of friends if you go, this smelly collaborator is a friend of mine. People are not going to start following you around. And it says that when Jesus walked up, he said, you follow me. I love love the simplicity of the narrative. Because if if Jesus had walked past me and said, come, follow me, I probably would have gone, well, no, let me just think about this now for a second. If I follow you, I'm going to cost them. I'm going to lose my job. John, what's my wife going to think? The children are going to hate me. And my friends are going to be Jesus. And this big conversation would start. But it seems that Matthew already had his mind made up about Jesus. Because the stories about what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was saying were knocking around in Capernaum. With respect, everyone knew Jesus. And everybody knew what was going on. People had traveled up from Jerusalem to see what Jesus was doing. This was not some strange, distant rabbi wandering down from the mountains. Everybody knew Jesus. Jesus was like a celebrity. And he was a troublemaker. And they loved troublemakers and celebrities. What a great combination. It's perfect for the paparazzi. If there was paparazzi around the place, everywhere Jesus went, to be flashed. Everybody would have been following around. He was a celebrity. And this guy would have been sitting there listening to what Jesus said day in, day out, hearing the stories about what Jesus did. And something goes on in this despised person's heart. So as he's walk, as Jesus is walking along, he picks him out and he says, You follow me and be my disciple. And so immediately Matthew gives up his extremely well-paid job. He's got a really lucrative job. A tax collector, they got a percentage of what they collected, so the harsher they were, the more they got. It was really playing to human greed, so he had a really good job. And he gave up his good job so that he could follow Jesus. I mean, what is his wife Abigail going to say when he goes home? Well, Abigail, I've decided to follow Jesus. You've decided to follow what? I'm giving up my job, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to follow this rabbi. You're going to follow who? Come here a minute. No, one second. I'll have a word with you. You're not following that fellow at all. He was already asking for trouble simply by following Jesus. So he was giving up so much, and Jesus, in, in every essence, was giving up so much of his notoriety by inviting this waster to follow him. Enough said about that passage. I love the next bit. It goes on to say this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. 
I love what Mark puts in here in this little caveat. He says, there were many of these kinds of people among Jesus' followers. It's recorded in Mark chapter 2 and verse 15. There were many of this kind amongst Jesus' followers. Jesus was not courting popularity in any manner or means. If you want to be a popular, don't become a Christian. Okay? There's my advice. Take that home advice. I was thinking about becoming popular, but I want to be a Christian as well. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. You'll be popular with other Christians, praise the Lord, but you're never going to be popular with the world if you choose to become a Christian and follow Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. It says he invited him to, invited him to his dinner, home for dinner. And I love, this is like, I was talking to a friend of mine, Nathan, recently on the phone, and we were talking about this particular passage. And he said, you know, isn't it interesting when you look at all the ways that we've invented evangelism, that we've invented ways to reach people. We, you, know, you can reach them over the internet or over social media. You can have a large campaign. You can stand on the street and shout, Jesus loves you, this I know. You can do it. Don't ask me why a Northern Irish accent does it. I just, it just comes out of me. I can't help it. Um, uh, <laughs> you can stand on the street and shout about Jesus all day and all night if you want to. Or you can go and knock on people's doors. Some people did that. I did thousands. No, I, I didn't personally do thousands of doors. I'm not going to do that. But we as a church did thousands of doors years and years and years ago. We knocked on thousands of doors and it was wonderful. We knocked on doors in Mahanon and Douglas and we went, went all over the Well Road and down far, further down towards the city center. And we knocked on thousands of doors. And do you know how many people got saved? <laughs> not one. <laughs> not one person became a Christian as a result of all of our knocking on doors and saying, would you like to know Jesus? I have enough problems of my own, by was generally most people's response. Jesus' approach was slightly different. Gather up 10 or 12 big, hairy, burly fellas and take them to a party. And that's how you're going to reach people. So here's what we're proposing next week. Grace Church is starting a burly, hairy fellas party. Okay? Now we can take some burly, hairy women as well. If you want to come, you're welcome. Just put your hand up now if you want to join the Burly Hairy Women's Society. That's okay. And you could come along and we're going to go to a party. And that was how Jesus did evangelism. He went to people's homes and he had dinner with them. And he lay down and he had, you know, we see in, in that culture, you, you lay down to eat. You, you, you held yourself up so they, they didn't sit at tables like we said. They lay on the ground. Look, so these, Jesus is there and he's, he's, he's at the party and they're all having, they all lie this way. You see, their bodies would be towards the table and they're having a chat and they're going, Hey, Jerry, how are you? Come here. Yeah, yeah. The kingdom of God, there's a call on you. Do you know that? Yeah, pass the old wine there when you're at the And this is how he did his evangelism lying flat talking to people not talking at people not shouting over their heads or warning them but he had conversations with them and he hung around with these people and he invited them to his home no, you see, we all kind of go, ah, Jesus, I love him. He invites all these outcasts and all these weirdos and all these strangers. And we go, suck it to him, Jesus. How many weirdos and outcasts do we invite to our homes? Moving swiftly on before I get stoned. And I don't mean stoned in the good sense. Anyway, there is no good sense of getting stoned, just for the record, Okay. There were many of these kinds of people. Jesus, Matthew invites Jesus for dinner. And who's there? Loads of other tax collectors. Yay! And there may even have been, oh, God forbid, there may even have been prostitutes. 
And other outcasts from society, people who were a little bit socially strange, were probably at this party. Because these people were all the outsiders who were, Jesus was meeting with. He was coming to meet with the outsiders. And I love what happens next is that it comes along and it says that the, disciples, the, 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 the Pharisees, and we all kind of hate the Pharisees, but in fairness, I think they get a bit of a bad rap. These guys were good guys. They loved God. They lived righteously. They did good stuff. They did nice things, but they just had a couple of things wrong in their heads, and the things that they had wrong really undermined their decency. They were definitely righteous. In actual fact, Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But that's another story. But I love it when it comes up, it says that, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scorn? Scum wasn't in the original Greek, by the way. Tax collectors and sinners, but they were scum. They were low lives. Why does your teacher eat with these people? Now, I think there's something interesting going on here. One, why didn't they address the question directly to Jesus? Excuse me, excuse me, what are you doing eating with the tax collectors and sinners? I beg your pardon, Jesus, you can't be eating with them at all. Sure, they're not the right kind of people at all. They go into his disciples. And I think that that was really snaky. Because I bet you when they went to the disciples, they walked up to Peter and they walked up to Andrew and they spoke to James and John, fishermen. And he said, come here, what's the story with your teacher? Why is he hanging around with these wasters and scumbags? Why is he sitting with them? And I'll bet you, I'll bet you anything, any money, that in the disciples' heads and hearts, they went, yeah, I'm wondering, why is he hanging around with them? I mean, you've got to remember, you're a fisherman on the boat on the Lake of Galilee. You see, we always think it was Jesus and then all the disciples followed him and everybody was happy. No, I'd say they were going, what? What are you doing? You're going for dinner with him? They only went because they were, I guarantee you, they wouldn't have gone to Matthew's house in their own right. They wouldn't have touched him. Why? Because remember, you're a fisherman on the lake, and every day you come home with your little catch, and you sail into the coast, and who's waiting for you at the front is Matthew. Hello, lads. Did you have a good catch today? Yes, a good catch today. Yes. Money for Matthew. If you had a good catch today. And they said, oh, did you see the sales in your boat? Have you paid the monthly sale tax on your boats? Oh, look at the axles on your cart. That's handy. Have you paid the axle tax? And I'm not making these taxes up. These were actual taxes. Oh, that cart has four wheels. I can see here that you've only paid tax on two of those wheels. So you owe me the tax for the other two wheels when you're ready there as well. And this was Matthew's job to gouge these people. So they knew Matthew very well. Peter and James and John and Andrew just, just taking those four out of the group of disciples. They knew this fella very well. And they knew that they had given of their hard-earned income to this man week in, week out, year in, year out. So they no more liked Matthew than anybody else liked Matthew. In actual fact, it is now well known that there is no culture, no tribe, no language in the world that has the phrase, as loved as a tax collector. No one has ever invented that phrase because it just doesn't happen. Nobody loves a tax collector. And I love it when Jesus, Jesus responds to them. I'm going to pick up one of his responses later from Matthew's Gospel 23. 
And Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says something to them that is really harsh, but it was true. He said this to them. He said, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees and hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. So they were able to say, how can you hang around with these guys? The kingdom of heaven is beyond them. How can you possibly be around them? And Jesus says to them, oh, hang on a minute. So you want to lock the door to let other people in? And then you forgot the key for the lock so you can't get in yourself. That's what he's saying to them. You, 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 you do, nobody's allowed into the kingdom of God unless they pass our test. But, and he says, but you don't enter it either. So nobody wins. Oh, I wouldn't like people like that in my church at all. Moving on. It says, when Jesus heard this conversation, he said something interesting to them. He said, lads, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. And what the Pharisees didn't realize, that I think all of the tax collectors did realize, is that they were sick. They were sick people. The people that Jesus was with were sin-sick people. And every one of us has suffered from the same sickness. Is there anybody here who is not a sinner? Amen. You're in good company. And if you put up your hand, we're going to take you outside. <laughs> we are all suffering with that same sickness. And sometimes we don't realize how sick we are. When we look at other people's lives and go, well, I would never do that. You see, we think the Pharisees were really, really bad. We think that they were really judgmental. But brothers and sisters, sometimes we can be quite judgmental ourselves. I'm going to admit it. Somebody said to me, Michael, who was that? It was an unbeliever. He said, do you ever feel like you're judgmental? And I said, yes, I do but I'm trying not to be. I'm really trying not to be. If only I realized what was wrong with me, then maybe I wouldn't be so quick to diagnose what was wrong with others. You with me? You with me? Jesus said, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, come here, man, I see something inside you. Sergeant, Sergeant, got it. <laughs> or as we would say, I hope there's nobody here from Northern Ireland, let me get the speck out of your wee eye there now. <laughs> while simultaneously ignoring the plank that is sticking out of your own eye. A plank. He didn't say, there's a larger piece of timber in your own eye. He said, you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye, and sticking out of your eye is a plank the size of Ben's guitar, horsing out of your eye. And he's saying, that plank is in your eye, but you're going, I see the problems with that fellow's life. He's a bit dangerous. I wouldn't go near him. Now I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't trust him. There's something about that fellow. I just, I have a certain discernment about him. It's really wrong. All the time ignoring the guitar in my own eye. Are you with me? Lads, we need to be quick, slow, quick to listen to what Jesus has to say and slow to jump in to sort other people out. As I said to my beloved mother-in-law, whom I love, thankfully, and get on with, with all of my heart. I said to her recently, May, that's my, my mother-in-law's name, I said, May, if you're in the business of sorting people out, you won't be in business for long. 
because nobody wants to be sorted out. Let God sort people out. Would anyone say amen? Let Jesus do the sorting out. Let him do in the fixing. Because you know what? Jesus says the healthy people who need a sick, who, who, don't, who need it. It's not the healthy people who need a, a doctor. It's the sick people do. And when you think about what he's actually saying, what he's saying is that if you don't realize you're sick, what on earth are you doing going to the doctor? I had to go to the doctor recently about a situation. It doesn't matter what it was. It's none of your darn business anyway. But um, <laughs> so I had to go. I, I had to go to the doctor, right? But imagine if I went to the doctor and the doctor, my, my, my doctor is uh, Paddy Ryan. He's a lovely doctor. He's a really, really nice man. He's a really good, he's a really good guy. He's just kind, kind man. And uh, so I'm t imagine if I went to him and he said, so Michael, what's the problem with you? And I say, um, nothing really, nothing. He said, but, but you look kind of green and you look a bit off color. No, no, I'm fine. No, no, everything's fine. No, everything's fine. Uh, you look like your lips are going a bit blue. No, no, I'm fine. I'll be grand. Or worse still, we go to the doctor and we don't tell him what the real problem is. Have you ever done that? We kind of go and we tell him a problem and then hope that he's going to fill in the gaps and guess what the real problem is. You know, like, somebody goes into the doctor and says, Doctor, I've, I've got a bit of a problem. He says, you've got a bit of a problem. Well, what's the problem? Well, I've got a bit of a problem down there. And the doctor says, oh, down there. He says, yeah, you a bit of a problem down there, you know. So the doctor says, okay, will you take off your trousers? So, oh, no, not down there. No, no. No, no, not, not down there, but, you know, down there. Can you imagine the ridiculousness of it? Or if he put his hand, he put his hand, they said, oh, it, it, that bone looks broken. Does that hurt? Ah, no, no, that's fine, that's fine. Sick people need a doctor. I need a doctor. The great physician, Jesus Christ. Amen. You need a doctor. The great physician, Jesus Christ. You need a doctor. The great physician, Jesus Christ. And if you're in here for the first time this morning, can I just say to you, you need the doctor. You need the doctor, Jesus Christ. He goes on. Jesus says uh, to this, he says this. He says, I tell you, well, look, he says to the Pharisees and the scribes, after they were convinced of their own well-being, he said to them this. He said, I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes, prostitutes, people who are paid to have sex with other people, something we go, oh, they're getting into the kingdom of God before you. Not to us, I hope, by the grace of God. He says to them, Corrupt tax collectors, fellas who are collaborators with Rome, the people you hate, and the prostitutes, the people that you pay to have sex with, are actually going to repent and get into the kingdom of God before you do, even though you're all righteous and you're all good and you're all decent and you're all kind and you're all lovely and you honor God and you fast three times a week and you give away your money. He says, There, you're still going to get in to the kingdom of heaven before you do. Because they're, they, they realize something. And he says to this to them, he says, look, he says, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy. To show mercy, not after sacrifices. You see, the whole rabbinic system was based on sacrifices. If I sacrifice enough, I will prove to God that I am worthy of his favor. If I just give up enough of this stuff, then somehow it'll turn over and the amazing alchemy will happen and I will be blessed in my life because I sacrifice so much. I sacrifice so much. 
And it is a good thing to sacrifice at times. But the problem with their sacrifice was this. They thought that sacrifice, and you know, in some senses, lads, it, it can be true for all of us. Sacrifice is easier than mercy. It's easier than mercy. Mercy is way messier than sacrifices. Mercy involves my heart and my relationships. It means connecting with people. And everybody knows connecting with, pe- connecting with people is always happy, joyful outcomes, isn't it? We never get our hearts broken or our heads done in from dealing with people, do we? We never get our hands burned or get taken for granted or feel unloved or unwanted. And then the beauty about sacrifice is this. We come back and we say to ourselves, look at the sacrifices that I made for you. Have you heard a parent say to a child, I've made big sacrifices for you? Oh, really? Or did you make them for yourself? Because to be honest with you, sacrificing, you know when I'm in the middle of my, oh, I'm sacrificing. Do you know what sacrificing is? It's all about me, you. Sorry, you, not me. It's not about me. It's about you. (laughs) That's what sacrifice is all about because I control sacrifice. I'm the one who decides I will give a tenth of my income away every week, Lord. Don't ask me where I'm getting this accent from. I will give away uh, so much of my time, Lord. I will sacrifice my own freedom and I will give. In some senses, we have this sense of love is sacrifice. And yes, of course, the sacrifice is in love. But do you know what? If you love, it doesn't really feel like a sacrifice, does it? Does it? Yes, it does. I remember when I, when I got married first, um, I used to, uh, when I when I'd get paid, I would go home and I would give my wages to my wife, my new wife. I, I'd give her all of my wages and then she would manage the money. And somehow where I was working, word got out that when Michael gets paid, he goes home, he gives all his money to his missus. And you can imagine high, the highest esteem I was held in at that stage. Oh, yeah. Did she give you any couple of bob back for yourself? Bye. Oh, they loved that. Like They said, oh, you're giving it all up for the missus, is it? I suppose she buys you the odd sweet or a pint, I suppose. Does she? They thought it was the best thing that they ever heard. Sacrificing your wages to your wife. Are you off your chuck? But it wasn't a sacrifice. And it wasn't like she was spending it on the gear or something, you know what I mean? It's not like she was going to the pub drinking it. We were husband and wife. We shared everything. Our bank accounts, our, our bed, we share, our bathrooms, we shared everything. Not simultaneously very often, but... Uh, it was no sacrifice. But the guys I worked with thought that I was off my chuck. But when you give out of love... It's not a sacrifice, is it? And sometimes I even catch it with my own kids. I realize I've made very big sacrifices for them. And I realize I didn't make big sacrifices for them. I made big sacrifices based on my aspirations for them. They didn't share those aspirations. Take it easy, Dad, will you? (laughs) Words never uttered in any of your homes, I'm sure. You see, for the Pharisees and the people around Jesus, the sacrifice was the key thing because it was the proof that you were following God. But Jesus said, it's mercy 
that I want you to give. I want you to connect with people. You see, the difference was, and we, we preach it and we talk about it here, the difference was this. The Pharisees would say, become a penitent, you know, turn from your sins, and then we will introduce you to God. And Jesus said, hold on, let me introduce you to God, and then maybe you'll turn away from your sins. So he was more involved and connected with relationship. Are we? Are you? Jesus said it, it's actually fantastic. Emmanuel quoted earlier, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When you give what you get, you get what you give. That's simple. If you, when you give what you get, you get what you give. If you give the mercy you've been given and you pay it to someone else, you will receive mercy in return. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It plays into everything else. It plays into forgiveness. Blessed are those who forgive others, for they themselves will be forgiven. Would you like to be forgiven? Forgive others. And that can be hard. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? And I can imagine Andrew who was his brother, was probably really getting on his nerves every day because we all know the people that we live with are always full of sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. <laughs> but I bet you Andrew, was, he was really getting on Peter's goat. And so Jesus said, Peter said, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? And Jesus said, and he said, oh, I mean, like seven times, is seven times enough? See the way he was measuring it out? And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490 times. Now, can I just say this to you? If you're struggling to forgive someone, and I think most people somewhere in their lives struggle to forgive someone. Someone who's maybe done you really bad or really done you down. You know, if you manage to say to yourself and in your heart, 490 times I forgive you. I think you'll start forgiving them. I think you'll start forgiving them. God blesses those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I love the final bit that Jesus said. He said this. He says, for I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. I've come not to, to, to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. They know it. They know they're sinners. Matthew stood there every day collecting taxes. And do you know who Matthew despised more than anything else? Mark my words, Matthew despised Matthew more than anybody else. Why did I end up in this stupid job? I hate, why, I, I hate myself for doing to my people what they hate me for doing to them too. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that something wasn't right inside him. He knew that he needed Jesus more than anything else. He didn't have notions about his righteousness. And the Pharisees thought that they were righteous. They had it figured out. They had all the knowledge. They had all the promises. They knew the Bible literally backwards. They knew every verse. They knew every rule in the Torah. They knew the whole lot. They thought that they were righteous. But the people around Jesus... They had no such hang-ups. They knew that they were sinners. Because thinking is a process. It's a connection of thoughts. It's an idea. It's a conception. But knowing is being. See, I know my name. My name is Michael. I know it 
I don't have to think about it. You say, what's your name? Say, my name is Michael. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to have a, let me just consider the concepts or possibilities of what my name may be. No. But when I lost my keys last week, I didn't go. Somebody said to me, where are your keys? Uh, are they on the bookshelf? Are they on the key hanger? Are they in my bag? Have I left them in the car? Are they dropped them in the kitchen? Did I put them into the fridge when I took out the yogurt? I didn't know. I had to think about where my keys were. But I know my name. And thankfully, Jesus knows my name. And he knows your name. Now, what was the key for Matthew? And what's the key for you this morning? How would you like to be like Matthew? How would you like to recognize who you are and invite people like you to come to know Jesus Christ? Because that's what he was inviting him to the party for. Come, come and meet Jesus. It wasn't he was like, come and let's have some wine and song and song and dance and everything will be fine. He was saying, come meet Jesus. And he reached out to people who were sinners just like him. Do you know the people that you're going to connect to best? People just like you. That's the people you are going to reach best. The people who you can connect with and that you know are like you. They're the people you'll connect with. There's no point in asking me to connect with the professor of some department in Trinity in Dublin. I'm wasting my time. I will never be able to connect with him because he's just not I'm just not like him. We're different kinds of people. But there will be people here in this congregation who can connect with him. There's no point in asking me to connect with somebody um, in, a, in a different situation to me. Somebody who maybe is the head of or the CEO of some major company. He's not going to be interested in what I have to say. But somebody else who's the head of a CEO of a company or somebody who's at high level in management might be able to speak to him. Because he's come not to call those who think they're righteous but those who know they're sinners. I love when Jesus said, Jesus himself said this, he said, the son of man feasts and drinks and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That means he's a friend of people like you and I this morning. He's a friend to everyone inside here if you will but accept his hand of friendship to you. I want to finish up with one last thought, and I, I want to do this with C.S. Lewis in mind. Everybody knows that it's not complete Michael Lund of a message unless there's a C.S. Lewis quote. And he talks about sinfulness, and he talks about confessing our sins. Because sometimes, lads, there is things that go on in our lives, and we need to confess them and get clear of them and know God's forgiveness at work in our lives and in our hearts. And I want to quote this, this piece by him, some advice that he gives to a friend who's written to him about confessing his sins. I just thought it's so refreshing and so straight up and straight honest in his advice about confessing sins. He said, in reviewing your sins, and we all commit them by the way, amen? We all commit them just for the record. In reviewing your sins, don't either exaggerate them, oh, I'm awful, I'm the worst person in the world, or minimize them. Well, it was nothing really, I was trying to try my best. Call them by their ordinary names. Lord, I have committed a grievous sin of gross gluttony. Lord, I ate too much last night. I drank too much last night. Call them by their ordinary names and try to see them. I love this. Try to see them as you would see the same faults in somebody else. Isn't that good advice? Try and see them as you would see the same faults in somebody else with no special blackening or whitewashing. And I, I, would, I would say, try and see the same faults in someone that you love, someone that you like, someone that you're connected to. Imagine if you could see your sins in them, and what would you say to them? What, would you, what kind of compassion would you, would you have for them? 
Try and have the same compassion in your situation. No special blackening. And remember this one condition in which we are promised forgiveness. We shall always be forgiven, provided that we sin, that we forgive those who sin against us. I've gone on for long enough. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to finish with one literal last verse from it. This is Jesus saying this. What's the difference between thinking and knowing? So many people think they know God, and they think that it's in the thinking that salvation happens, and it's in the connecting of all these dots in our heads. Jesus said it's not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Knowing is about being. And Jesus said this, what he, this is how he de- described eternal life. He said, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent to earth. I want to pray this morning uh, for three things. Or actually, maybe we'll just keep it to two. I want to pray this morning that perhaps we will be like Matthew, that God would give us the grace to see that we ourselves are the wisdom to see, that we ourselves are far from perfect people, but that they, the, that imperfect people like us are the people that we can reach. Are we willing to reach out to people around us? Are we willing to say, Lord, take my hands and use them? Are we willing to say, Lord, use me in the situation that I'm in, just like Matthew was used in his situation? I want to pray as well this morning that God administer his forgiveness here this morning. Because I know there's people carrying burdens of, 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 of uh, sin, faults, mistakes, and you just need to know God's refreshing forgiveness this morning. We're going to pray for that in a second. First of all, however, we're going to sing, hear the sound of hearts returning to you from our song, Hosanna, which we opened with this morning, and then we'll pray in a second. Let's worship the Lord. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you return to you in your kingdom broken lives are made new you make us new Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. song applies so strongly to the story we've been reading this morning. In God's kingdom, our broken lives are made new. Have you got brokenness in your life this morning? You want to say, Lord, would you make me new in that area, in that area of brokenness, 
in my life, that area where I just seem to continually fall down, that area where I'm continuously weakness. Would you close your eyes just for a second? I say, Lord, I continually fall in this one area. I'm not going to call you forward this morning, by the way, so nobody will be embarrassed or exposed or anything like that. But you want to say, Lord, I want to hand over you this area where I continually fall. Lord, would you make my life new, Lord? Thank you for being my friend this morning. If you have an area in your life and it just keeps on coming up and it keeps on hitting you in the face, you want to say, Lord, would you make that new in my life this morning? Would you raise your hand? I'm going to invite you to raise the other hand with it. Just raise the other hand with it. Do you need grace this morning to forgive someone? Do you need the grace this morning to show mercy to someone? If that's you, will you raise your hand? Praise God. Let's pray. Are you willing to say, Lord, would you use me to touch the lives of other people who are like me? Are you willing to pray that prayer this morning? Lord, help me, use me so that I can reach other people who are just like me. If that's you, will you raise your hands? We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you that none of us comes into your presence whole or complete or in one piece. But we all come with our brokenness. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, for all of those this morning who keep on hitting the same roadblock and the same dead-end street and the same bad experience and the same area in their lives, Lord, I pray this morning that in your kingdom their broken life would be made new again this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would empower them to keep their eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith, Lord. I want to pray this morning, Lord, for those who need your grace to show mercy to those around them, Lord. Lord, I thank you. You don't despise our sacrifices, but you want mercy. You want us to show mercy, to pour out our lives, to maybe get them a little bit more messy than we would like them to be. Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us the grace to forgive where we need to forgive. Would anyone say amen? We pray this morning, Lord, that we would have the grace to receive your forgiveness, Lord, for our weaknesses and our faults, our sins and our failures, Lord. May we receive your weakness this morning. And lastly, we pray this morning, Lord, for anyone this morning, Lord, who is willing to be used, Lord, take these hands and use them, Lord. May we reach others who are just like us. Lord, I pray we wouldn't have any pretensions or hang-ups, but what we think we're like. Lord, would you take us beyond our comfort zone, Lord, so that we could reach others who are like us. Use us to advance your kingdom, we pray, in Jesus' name and God's people said. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we commit our coming week into your hands. Ask you, Lord, that you'd be with us and that you'd bless us, that we would encounter your presence and your power and your protection throughout this coming week, Lord. Be with those that we love, Lord. Open doors for us that no man can shut, Lord. Start conversations for us, Lord, that will bring life to us and to those we speak to, Lord. Use us, we pray, in every way and in every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. May God bless and keep you this week and go with you. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs, upstairs in the atrium. We're here again on Tuesday night. We're going to be looking at being the overcomer God wants us to be. God bless you and keep you. If you're a visitor, please do take the opportunity to say hello. The guys are going to play us up.